The following program contains references to pocket money and pockets in general. The program would like to take this opportunity to advocate for more pockets in dresses as they are the actual best. <clears throat> pockets aside, it's important to know the information within this podcast is general advice only. We can't account for your individual circumstances. To get something tailored to your circumstances, see the professionals. All right, here's your first question. Who knows what this is? Ah, uh, a 50 lot of coin. A 50 pence, please. Me, $50. How do you know that? Have you seen one of them before? Because I've had one. Where did you... And I still have it in my bank account. I have lots of ton of money. I've got some money in my purse. How much money life. have you got in your purse? I don't know, but I do. Enough to buy me a coffee? Yeah, maybe. What's the most expensive thing at your house? Transit. A TV. My snow globe. Do you get pocket money? Yes, six dollars. But I want them to let me have more now. Do you know how much an iPad costs? Forty-eight hundred dollars. Infinity. Do you know how much your house costs? Fifteen dollars. I have no idea, so because I, I don't really know many answers of the questions you've asked me so far. <laughs> That's okay. A lot of people don't know these answers, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Remember back in episode one, where we discovered you learn your money habits as a kid. We began developing our money beliefs as children as we watch our parents and grandparents and other adults around us interact with money and talk about money or don't talk about money. And remember, as the episodes went on, we learned how to unpick all those habits and get smarter about money. We've learned how to budget, how to hustle, how to plan an emergency fund. We've grown up, guys. So to round it off, there's only one thing left to do. We need to learn how not to pass our crappy habits onto our kids. I'm Claire Hooper, and this is The Pineapple Project. In a world where everything is cashless, where tooth fairies slip notes under pillows, and where Bitcoin is not just something your toddler did when it was teething, how do you make sure your kids know the value of money? Scott Pape is the barefoot investor. He's obsessed with raising a generation of kids that are confident with coin. About 15 years ago, ASIC did a study, and what they found was the most financially illiterate people were people aged 18 to 24. Those people are now parents. We now get to sit at the end of the table, but we have no idea about money, right? The biggest mistake I see with parents is they say, I'm just not even going to talk about it. I'm going to hope that the bank does it or the school does it or somebody does it, but I'm a financial screw up, so I'm not going to talk about it with my kids. What I would say is that even if you are a financial screw up, firstly, you should be showing your kids that you are getting better at managing your own money, that you're in control. They are going to learn through that. You may think that your kids aren't listening to you, but they will never fail to model you. And if they see that you're smart with your money or that you're focusing on it, they're going to focus on it as well. If they see that you think it's worth getting better at money, then that's a really strong message. Yeah, absolutely. And I help a lot of low-income earners and single parents who feel quite insecure about their knowledge about it. My view is if you're focusing on it and you show that your children that this is important, you can change your family tree. What are the conversations we should be having with our kids around money? If we cut to the guts of it, right, with our kids, what we really want is we don't want to raise spoilt, entitled brats. 
right? That's my view as a parent. So there are two ways that you don't raise an entitled, spoilt little brat. The first one is making them work, understanding that in order to get things, they actually have to work for it. They're not entitled to anything. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is, for me anyway, I want to show them just how wealthy they are by actually living in Australia. So we talk about giving things away. So it could be that we um, give money to a local charity, but it's that idea of actually giving. Step one in teaching kids, I've got two words for you. Pocket money. I think pocket money is central to teaching kids about money and you can start when they're as little as two years old. Two years old? My two-year-old is getting pocket money. But again, it is not about the pocket money. For me, most people do it wrong. And the whole thing is the start and the finish is here's some money. That's only the start of it. For me, what it is, I give them the money and then what we do is it's how they spend that money, which is the real lesson. I want my kids to be spending it and making mistakes. That's how you learn, by making mistakes. You want your child to make a mistake when they're eight rather than when they're 28. That would be a good thing. We want them to be giving money away because we want generous kids. I don't want a tight-fisted kid because they're not going to be very popular when they're older. And I want them to save. I want them to have a goal and achieve it. These are values. It's got nothing to do with the money. So how do you start? How much do you give? What's the basics? It doesn't matter if it's $5 or 20 cents. Kids don't really understand the difference between them anyway. So if you're a single mum and you don't have hardly any money, just paying 10 cent pieces, it's your money anyway, you know? So don't get hung up on that. What I do is a dollar per year. So a five-year-old gets $5, but you don't have to get hung up on that. That was my first thing. Second one is with my two-year-old and when he picks up his toys, I pay him straight away. We do the Olympic ceremony where he stands up on the couch and we make a big deal out of it. But the reason that I'm paying him straight away is that there's a direct correlation between working and getting paid. Then what I do when they go to primary school is you'll pay once a week around the family dinner where we talk about money and we do an exercise which makes it real for them. And then when they turn 15, you cut them off and you say, you've got to start flipping burgers. Okay, so make the link between work and getting paid from as young as two. Oh no, I'll try this on Sylvia, my youngest. She's two. Perfect. The very next day I'm at home and the costumes are emptied all over the lounge room floor. Perfect, I think. Here's my chance to teach. I fish out a shiny 20 cent piece. I channel barefoot. I am barefoot. I hope I don't step on any Lego. I squat down next to Sylvia, ready to teach. Do you know what that one is, Sylvia? Yeah. What is it? Coin. It's a coin. It's a 20 cent coin. If you help me put the costumes in the box, then you get this coin for your money box. Nana. She's not into it. I want snack. You want a snack? She wants snacks. Will you come and help me pick up the costumes? No, I want game. She couldn't care less about the coin. I want game. Right, we'll work on that. But I can't help but think once she gets the hang of this, once she's more focused on money than snacks or playtime, does this mean she's going to stop doing anything helpful unless I hand over something? Barefoot says 
That's where part two of his plan comes in. The other essential item in the barefoot box revolves around the good old-fashioned family dinner. One of the big things that parents always ask me is, I don't want to have an entitled little brat that won't lift a finger around the home unless I pay them. That's the danger, right? That if I just, if I'm paying pocket money all the time, my kids aren't going to actually help. So what I've done for me personally in our household is to structure it around a family dinner. Now, there's a whole bunch of research that says that you can do a lot of wrong things when you're raising kids, but the one thing that you do is actually sit down and have a family dinner. There are long-range studies that say it's better than any extracurricular activity. It's better than religious activity, sporting, you name it, sitting down with your kids and having dinner with them. So my view is that the way I've done it is to say 15 minutes before dinner, go and do your chore. So they, they go off and they do their chores. Then when we come to dinner, dinner is everybody pitches in. I don't care if it's dad, mum, the kids, you have to do something, whether it be setting the table, whether it be helping with the meal, whether it be cleaning up, you don't get paid for that. We're all in the business of eating. 20 minutes, you've taught them something about money. You've had a family dinner. So, you know, you've done the right thing there and everyone's pitched in to actually have the family meal. And if they don't do it, you feed them spam out of a can. <laughs> Some kids like spam. Um, but point taken, maybe I could find something even more disgusting than spam. So one of the reasons that I've based my whole plan around family dinners is that as parents, we're in the business of cooking dinner each night. And the idea of actually sitting down without your phone, putting your phone down and talking to your kids. For me, as I was growing up, I sat around a family dinner table and saw my parents save up for their family home for 10 years. And I knew how big of a deal it was because I was watching them have those conversations. So for me, what I do with uh, my kids is they're sitting at the table and they're seeing mum and dad make these financial decisions. I, I don't know. I guess even as they, as kids get older, knowing that you're going to sit at a table and watch mum and dad make responsible decisions is actually a really big thing. I mean, so if these conversations are really important for the kids to observe, so they, so watching mum and dad discuss how the savings are going, whether or not something can be afforded, those sorts of conversations. Some parents are either in it on their own or doing a lot of time parenting yep. by themselves while another partner's at work. So, More so is are caught you actually than... having the conversation with the kid and is the kid being like, I'm not interested, mum? I don't want to sound too Oprah here, but being vulnerable in front of your kids and saying, I'm struggling at the moment. You know, I've got credit card debt, but I'm getting on top of it. And seeing your parents or parent actually saving and and going through that, working through it is incredibly powerful because you get to see how big people actually make financial decisions rather than saying, you're just a, a child. I'm not going to burden you with this or, you, you know, you don't need to know about this. You do need to know about this and we need to model really good behaviours. Right. I'm listening and I'm thinking that when I go home, things are going to change. The Barefoot Investor says that you have to have family dinners where we all sit down and you and I talk about, you know, finance stuff, like just have money conversations so the kids can hear it and also the kids have to help set up dinner every night. Our four and two-year-old children... Yeah, he's a, his are four and two, and he's like, everybody helps with dinner. 
Well, yeah, I mean, helping with dinner, but do they need to help with our financial decisions? I guess <laughs> they probably wouldn't do any worse than us. No, no, no. They're not meant to help with the decisions. They're just meant to hear us talking about money, like hear us talking about what we're saving up for or how things are going or whatever. The important thing um, is that they have to help set up dinner every night. They ask for water and they don't eat their dinner. I guess that's helping. And I'm unclear about how Sylvia could help at two years old. What does his kids do? Is it a wonder kids? A little better than everybody else. They sound like pretentious little shits. Don't you dare say that about the barefoot investor. <laughs> don't you dare. I'm not buying it. I don't believe it. Lies. Yeah, anyway, um, I guess we could try it. We would have to move all of the like setting the table stuff down to... We'd need to find another place to do it because Sylvia always gets her hand trapped in the drawer when she tries to help herself to stuff. We'd have to move the children's cutlery to a lower drawer or something. It sounds like I'm just going to be doing everything. Like I'm going to be taking their stuff out every meal and putting it on a lower table so they can take it and then put it on another table. Like that's what it sounds like to me. That's parenting, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Right. We'll work on that. If you're thinking family dinner every night sounds impossible, you might be a shift worker or your kids play sport. Well, Scott says to aim for at least once a week. And outside of that time, there are some other ways you can sneak in money lessons when they're not expecting it. While you're shopping with your kids, I do this with my boys, but I will show them um, different things uh, and the different costs of things. You're showing them that things are priced differently. And that may just be the only thing that kids, preschool kids really can pick up on. But again, these are all learning lessons. The other one that I do is I live in the country. And so three kids in the back, we're fully loaded in the back, right? And there's only so long, so many times you can play Ice Buy with My Little Eye and it's always tea for a tree. So so what we've done anyway, is yes. the petrol price challenge. Oh, what? So, no. Yeah, yeah, what? yeah. Who would have thought my four-year-old um, loves numbers? Who would have thought? So he's always on the lookout for cheap petrol. So this is going to be a tradition in our family where whoever gets finds the cheapest petrol Good for me, cheap petrol. When I fill up, they get something sugary that mum allows us to get. The other thing that I do with my young kids when we're watching TV, when the ads come on, we turn down the sound and we talk about what they're trying to sell us. So just trying to disrupt the pattern that our marketers are feeding into our kids. Yeah, that's a great idea. You want to cry. You want to try and create cynical kids because you know you've got all these marketers that are attacking them. It's it's got they call it the um, pester power. The kids they'll pester the the parents in order to buy it. So it's just trying to have savvy create savvy consumers mm. that look at those things. But Scott, how can parents compete for the affection of their children if they can't just give them whatever they want? Yeah, I know. That's, that is a tough thing and and even tougher for the Disneyland grandparents that yes. are like, you may be a screw-up, but I'm going to you know, know transfer all that over to that's my right. grandkids. How can I convince my parents yes. to not just give them whatever they want? Well, that's you know what question. You know what I did with my parents who are just – total Disneyland grandparents. What I've said is that you need to spend your money on experiences. So with my parents, what we do is we we went trout fishing. It was awesome because number one, they don't just go around to the grandparents, go around the side of us and say, well, just give me the Nintendo or give me something that I want. It's an experience and we get free babysitting. So it works for us as well. (laughs) Okay. So far, here are all the things I'm getting wrong. I'm not paying pocket money. I don't make the girls set the table. I'm pretty sure they've seen TV ads. 
I let them receive lovely presents from their grandparents all of the time. And um, my four-year-old's not scouting for petrol prices. <laughs> she can barely write her own name, let alone read figures on a sign. If you're listening and thinking, well, Claire, I'm ahead of you here, at least my kids have their own bank accounts, uh, well, Scott Pape says to think again. So the thing about financial literacy that you'll hear, most children get taught when they go to school and they get signed up by one of the big banks when they go to school. Now, that is in the bank's best interest, obviously, because they're signing up a customer at the start of their life. In fact, we've seen banks actually go, no, 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 we're not even going to wait till they get to school. We're going to go for the fetus. So there's these accounts that try and encourage pregnant mums to start saving for their kids. So they're saying, you know, bugger waiting till they go to school. I'm going the fetus. And I reckon they're going to be signing up sperm. Well, they do already have their own banks, don't they? (laughs) Touche. Do you stop? Do so. So right. So you will boycott that for your kids. You're choosing your kids' bank accounts. Uh, Kids don't need a bank account until they get into high school. And then what we want to do is we want to get the kids to actually choose their own bank account. We want them to actually make a choice so that they get a really cracking good bank account and they feel good about themselves because they've got one that doesn't charge them fees, that pays them a high rate of interest, and we're building their confidence there. But we don't want to sign them up to a sleazy big bank. At this point, if you were thinking, well, I have a teenager, is it too late? Are we doomed? Oh, no, in barefoot land, it's never too late to impart lessons. You've still got time. My view is they should be going to um, getting a job, flipping a burger, putting something on a shelf, something basic, because it teaches them to turn up on time. It teaches them to follow rules. It teaches them to say please and thank you. It teaches them about superannuation. It teaches them about bank accounts. I mean, you should be paying them. You should be paying you know, a fast food restaurant just to, to take to, your just... kids and train them. Yes. This is like another subject. All right. So what you're, I mean, you're saying it's as important as school. Well, my view is that it's another part of the education. If you get through high school and you haven't actually worked for a really bad boss and you haven't had to flip a burger or something, you really haven't got an education. Most kids graduate from high school or university and say, I'm, I'm a screw up with money and nothing changes. In fact, the whole world conspires to make sure that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. They get a credit card, they get a personal loan, they want to get a car so they get a loan and slowly but surely that snowballs and then that becomes who they are. My view is that you want to be building up your teenager so that they feel really confident about their skills and I tell you what, it just makes such a big difference. So, lots of ideas there about how to raise a non-entitled, non-spoilt, non-brat who has a handle on things. But my kids care more about snacks than fat stacks. Is there a way to send subliminal money messages to their little brains? Laura Higgins is a former teacher who was so instrumental in getting financial literacy into schools that the government put her in charge of it. And she has kids of nearly uni age now, so she has lived it and survived. And, she says, one really simple way to teach your kids about where their money's going is by putting a couple of jam jars on your shopping list. Why? Laura says kids are visual and they love games. The jam jar system plays on both of those things to teach your kids about managing money. We played a lot of shops. 
at our house. We had a little something set up in the corner. We had a, a cash register with some plastic coins that were very big so no one could choke on them. That's very important, Claire. And, you know, we had a telephone and we did a lot of that through play. And so it wasn't so explicit around uh, maybe how much a banana might cost at the fake shops. Uh, but we certainly had that exchange of money for goods from a really young age. And it was always quite fun. They loved it. Yeah, my kids enjoy playing, giving the coin for the thing. Um, yeah, it's great. They're two and four. They still get it the wrong way around. You buy a thing from their shop. They open the cash register, give you a coin to go with the thing you've bought. and yeah. It's great. So one way to engage little kids in the idea of money is to use the jar concept. So grab a couple of jars, get some fun labels, get the kids to design them. I would start with two jars when they're little, saving and spending. So you have your some coins around the house. Kids love to have that, to see the money going into the jar, to see it growing. And spending on one jar might be something that you can spend kind of any time. You have a little bit of money that you can make choices around. Around. Saving might be something you want to watch grow, and that's a, that's a longer-term spending goal, if you will. And as the kids get a bit older, I'd be adding to those jars. So another third jar, I would add, would be about giving. What do we give to the community? We do lots of fundraising at school. You'll always need that jar once your kids are uh, enrolled in school. So the giving jar is really important, and you can have some lovely conversations about our opportunities to engage in the community and help others. And the fourth jar that I'd love people to consider is a little bit more complicated, and that's around investing. And I think that's for much older kids. So, you know, by the time your kids are in year six-ish, you might be able to talk to them about investing and what that means for kind of the very long term and what their future might look like. So I would start with two jars, saving, spending. Then consider giving as they get, you know, their understanding of awareness of others around them. And then as they get a bit older, adding a jar for investing. Okay, so we're not at the investing stage yet, but I, I thought I'd try it out on my four-year-old Penny. She's smart. She's four. And she has money already stashed away, she tells me, in what I think is four-year-old speak for piggy bank. Um, I do have my pigging tank. Away with the pigging tank, Penny. It's jar time. This is how we're going to do it instead of the piggy bank now. We've got three jars... So what would you do if I gave you three coins? Say thank you. That's my girl. I explain, we have three jars, spending, saving and giving. Coins go in every jar. She gets the hang of it. One, two, three. I think, frankly, she just likes the sound of coins going in the jar. But then things take a turn. Penny takes all the money out of all the jars and puts them in the one jar. Bold move. It's the giving jar. Am I raising a philanthropist? Uh, um, it's for people who need money. Is she going to be Mother Teresa? Bill Gates? I'm feeling so proud. Get me some, my, um, a bit for here and a bit for there, okay? You mean you need more money for the other jars? Yeah. Yes, thank you, Mommy. When she realises she has no money to spend herself, her strategy is to borrow more money from the bank, which is me, 
Is that right? Yes. Penny, would you describe yourself as a financial genius? Yeah. What a whirlwind. So, what have we learned? Kids are always watching and learning. Get involved. Don't leave it to your kids' school to give them those lessons. It doesn't have to be formal. It's the conversations. It's the jam jars. It's pointing out prices at the shops. It's family dinner. It's all the little things that add up to form their relationship with money. And if they end up rich when they're older, you can cash in on that. Wait, Claire. Oh, hi, Emily. Sensible. Sensible, Emily. Mm, you like that sensible? Claire, it sounds like you're wrapping this thing up, but I'm not ready to let go yet. As your financial mentor... Well, I never said that. I have a duty to ask you, Claire. Remember back in the first episode you had a picture of Tokyo Disney stuck up at your house? It's where you're going to take the girls. Are you any closer? All right. Okay. Now, yes. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Because what Tokyo Disney represents... Sensible Emily, is the holiday that you can afford rather than the holiday that goes on a credit card. And yes, I am so much closer. I'm like 13 grand closer. Ooh. <laughs> what about your debt? In episode five, you confessed to having four credit cards and tens of thousands in debt. Whatever. I'm, I'm just cool like that, I guess. <laughs> How's that going? Are you getting on top of it? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Literally, I'm down from four credit cards to two credit cards um, and the uh, third one will go soon. Baby steps. You can't shock the system too much. Um, and, the, yeah, the debt, the debt's down to five grand. Well done. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So what do you think the biggest lesson's been, Claire? Oh, maybe the biggest lesson. I've, I've always been a bit like you are who you are and if you're prone to making certain kinds of mistakes, then you're probably just always going to make them. You know, like you can only ever improve yourself for a few months and then you fall back into old habits. And I I think the biggest lesson has been like, no, you, you can actually fix your money problems. Like you can just put something in place and not be messed up anymore. That's that's the biggest lesson. Is that too... So you can is that be, too spiritual for you, is sensible it, Emily? Well, is it so you can be sensible? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I guess so. Could we call it something better than that? What's wrong with the word sensible, Claire? Sensible's my middle name. What's your first name then? I'm always here if you need, Claire. We could have a monthly Sunday barbecue, Sensible Sundays, where I could just check in. We could make some of that homemade washing powder. We could sew some more bibs together. I could go over your Thanks, Sensible Emily. So, how do you feel about your finances now? If this show has changed even one thing that you do with money, tell someone about it. In fact, tell us. What changes have you made? What do you have stuck on your fridge or your mirror or as your computer screensaver and are you any closer to achieving it? Be proud. Share your stories with us. We're proud of you too and we want to hear what you've done. Money conversations need to happen more often and it can start with you. Call 07 5414 or email pineapple at abc.net.au and brag, well, confess, whatever helps you in the next stage of your money management. Hey, Claire, it's your mum. Congratulations on your podcast. You've worked really hard. So that's 20 cents in the jar for you. 
<laughs> We're going to collect all your stories and share them so we can keep the inspo flowing. I hope you find money much sweeter and much less of a prick to deal with. If I can do it, anyone can. This show is not going anywhere, by the way. These episodes will live on in the podcast world forever. So if you need a little juicy reminder, I'll be here lurking for the rest of your life. Maybe you can listen in retirement as you sit back on your pile of pineapples and spend some sort of cryptocurrency that hasn't been invented yet. And then you're going to laugh about how we used to call them dollars. Oh, the good old days. Catch you later, cash cats. Roll the credits, Penny. Okay, Mummy. Thanks to everyone who worked on this show. The Pineapple Project was mixed by Don David. Research by Jessica Lucchiano. That one's a hard name, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Consulting producer Emily Stewart. <laughs> Produced by Executive producer Penny. The head of ABC Audio Studios is Kelly Reardon. With thanks to Penny Duffin. Penelope Duffin. The honeyed voice of our financial disclaimers was Michael Rowland. Oh, thanks, Claire. And thank you, Claire Hooper, for being our financially fearless and honest friend. My work here is done. This is Penny Duffin of ABC Audio Studios. Can I help? Two more. Two more treats. Yeah. I told you there's no treats left. <laughs>